Hermann. And we are back talking about the four kings of boxing, chapter seven in this book that we're doing tonight. We are looking at Marvin Hagler versus Roberto Duran, who once punched out a horse, and Tommy Hearns versus Roberto Duran, uh, the very same. I am your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Radledge. And joining me is the great historian himself, the head of stone, Pat Mullen. How do you do, sir? We're just never going to have an intro about Roberto Duran without you mentioning he knocked out a horse. That would be correct, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I may try to sneak that into other shows. I think you should. Tonight we'll be talking about Doctor Strange and Roberto Duran once punched out a horse. All right. Uh, So tonight uh, we were talking before the show started that this is a very Roberto Duran heavy episode. Uh, Roberto Duran won and then lost the title against Sugar Ray Leonard. And uh, this is sort of a renaissance for him here. This is uh, a charge forward, as it were, a chance to rebuild, remake, and renew. And he's got to get through Marvin Hagler and then, fortunately, Thomas Hearns in order to do all of that. And that's Speaking what we're of knocking out horses. Speaking of knocking out horses, you ain't kidding. So that's what we're here to talk about tonight, Pat. So let's uh, pick up where we left off with uh, Roberto Duran. He loses to Sugar Ray Leonard, and where is he at in his career, his mindset? What's the narrative? So, you know, we talked in great detail about the loss to Leonard, you know, what's what's come to be known as the no-moss fight, where in the eighth round of the fight, he just seemingly turned his back and quit and said, I don't want to fight anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, turn the boxing world upside down and uh, people were, you know, in shock and awe. Like, what are you what what is this? This is Roberto Duran. This is Mas Macho. This is El Cholo quitting. And, you know, so we talked about how in Panama he was, you know, treated like a criminal, basically, by his people. They turned their back on him, vandalized his mother's house, all kinds of crazy stuff like that went on. Uh, They took away his uh, status as a national hero and taxed the hell out of him when he got his purse money. Um, so, so he is that happening. Ray Arcel and Freddie Brown, his two co-trainers leave him, um, Freddie Brown over money, basically out of the Nomas fight and Arcel out of, you know, shame more than anything, I guess you'd call it at that point for what went on. And Durant wishy-washy about, no, I want to retire. No, you know, I'd like to fight Leonard again, but can't get a rematch immediately with Leonard who doesn't think there's anything left there to do. So. He, he mulls over the idea of retirement, but instead he chooses to fight on. And the problem at that point is who's going to fight him? How are they going to do it? So he goes ahead and has, you know, he, he's going to campaign now. And instead of fighting a welterweight where he struggled to make the weight, he moves up to junior middleweight. And when he moves up there, he's really now fighting well above his best weight. And it's noticeable, you know, in his physique, he, he makes a phone, you know, he makes a phone call to a guy named Louis Spada and Louis Spada eventually agrees to manage Roberto Duran after he's been abandoned by pretty much everybody. Um, but that's later on. The only guy still left in his old entourage is Plomo Canones, who was his first boyhood trainer. He wins a couple of nondescript decisions and it gets him into a fight with Wilfred Benitez. And Yeah. So Wilfred Benitez, that fight takes place on January 30th, uh, 1982 at Caesars Palace in Nevada. And this is for the WBC Super Welterweight title. Um, 
which as you said, this this takes place after he has two nondescript unanimous decisions over Nino Gonzalez and Luigi Minchillo. And I'll tell you, like it's just as soon as he starts to get his legs under him here, just as soon as he starts to make some headway, he loses a big one here to Benitez. He loses a unanimous decision in 15 rounds. And well, it's a, it's a split decision, though it should have been unanimous. Yeah, that's what you know. You wrote that in the in the notes that you sent me, but the the Wikipedia has it as a unanimous decision. Which I wanted to ask you: Why is there controversy about that? It, bad scoring. I mean, if you watch this fight, Benitez pretty clearly won somewhere in the neighborhood of nine to ten rounds of this fight. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty 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 clearly. Um, Duran, you know, had very few moments here and there. And part of that was when he actually got the title shot. He had begged Ray Arcel to come back and train him. And so eventually Ray's kind of coaxed into, okay, you know, he says he's the old Roberto. We'll, we'll see what he's got. They do this island training camp where Duran sheds a lot of weight early, so the weight's not going to be an issue when it comes close to fight time. But the reason most guys do the majority of their weight cut over the last two weeks, three weeks of their fight camp is so they're not totally drained to their strength as they train, trying to keep that weight off the entire time they're training. And, you know, Roberto, when he's in this fight, a lot of his punches lack snap and lack impact when he's fighting. He doesn't he's not as quick on the draw. And when you're not as quick on the draw against maybe the most naturally gifted defensive boxer there's ever been, period, in Benitez, it's not going to work out well for you. So he looked slow. He looked like his feet were stuck in the mud. He looked like an old fighter before he was old. Watching that fight with Benitez, one of the things that becomes very clear about Roberto Duran is he's really trying to load up his punches. He's way dependent on his power punching, you know. And Benitez, for you know, for his part, is able to absorb a lot of it. But he's also he's also able to move around the ring enough to where Roberto Duran's stamina gets the best of him. Yeah, and, and Benitez just a master, much like Duran, of rolling with a punch and taking mm-hmm. away all of its impact seeing that punch coming and shifting his upper body one way and riding it. And again, maybe the best ever at doing that Benitez. And so Duran, you know, has this fight and doesn't look great. And Ray Arcel, you know, who trained him says, you know, Roberto, he writes him his heartfelt letter. Maybe it's time for both of us to give it up at this point. Cause you know, Arcel had been in the fight game for, you know, 60 plus years at this point. They, he's, he's basically trying to convince Duran, you look terrible. You didn't look like the champion you were. It's time to call it quits. But Duran wouldn't call it quits instead. In his next fight, he fights on ESPN against a guy named Kirkland Lang from England. Yep. That fight, as you said, uh, takes place on September 4th, 1982 at the Cobol Hall, the legendary Cobol Hall in Detroit, Michigan. And this time, as the wiki tells me, it absolutely was a split decision over 10 rounds. Um, and again, this this was another situation where Roberto Duran just could not could not find the fountain of youth here. Uh, he's having trouble with his stamina. Stamina. He's having trouble. You know, he's de- depending wildly on his power punching, and Kirkland Lang is able to, uh, as you said. He's able to sidestep, he's able to evade, he's able to dodge, and he's able to score. Nothing tremendously powerful. He never really puts Duran in trouble, but he's able to win rounds, as you do. He puts the work in. Yeah, and, and Lang Lang is not a bad fighter. Mm-hmm. Lang was always a guy who, especially in England where they knew him better, he had a lot of talent. He just never put it all together. Mm-hmm. Like His nickname was the Gifted One. And it was that for a reason. He had a lot of natural fighting ability that he just never was able to sustain any kind of momentum with. Um, unfortunately, Kirkland Lang has a rough turn later in life. He winds up living on the street and just has a really bad go of it. Um, but in this fight, even even a, a, a less than Duran is a guy who was seen as shouldn't be having trouble with Kirkland Lang and instead struggles mightily and loses a decision that he pretty, pretty clearly lost if you watch the fight. And it's so bad that after the fight, Don King, who is Durant's, still Duran's promoter of record at the time, barges into his dressing room and just reads him the riot act, says he'll never promote any of his other fights again. Mm-hmm. And Duran's manager at the time, Carlos Aleta, who we've talked about in the past, fires Duran. And that's when Duran makes the call to Spada, who Louis Spada was a friend of his from Panama. And he you know, told Duran, hey, if you just need another pair of hands to, to carry your spit bucket, I'll be there for you. 
And Spada thinks that's the call he's getting. And Duran's like, no, Louis, I, I want you to manage me. And Louis, you know, in disbelief about it, because Louis still holds him in reference despite his career downturn. Louis calls Aleda and he's like, yeah, wish him luck for me. Have fun with that. <laughs> uh, which brings us to his next fight here. Uh, he fights. This is where he starts to get back on the winning track again. He goes down to the Orange Bowl in Miami on November 12th, 1982. This is his 79th fight, by the way, just, to, just so everyone understands what we're dealing with here. He wins a unanimous decision against Jimmy Batten. Now, who is Jimmy Batten? Jimmy Batten is a junior middleweight contender. I believe he actually does uh, later on fight for the WBC title at one point in time. Again, kind of nondescript opposition, careful matchmaking on the part of Duran's team to try to get him in there with somebody who's not going to fall over immediately upon being mm -hmm. And will make Roberto work, but is not likely to trouble him enough to make him look bad and beat him. Well, this is a Roberto Duran's at a crossroads. He needs a big win. He needs so so far he's had either nothing but losses or he's had nondescript wins that aren't really doing him any favors. He's not looking like an entertainment, an entertaining vehicle for promoters. Things are not going his way. No, uh, he's he's a he's a virtually no value to most promoters, and so. He, he kind of goes with Louis Spada hat in hand to the offices of Bob Arum and Top Rank mm -hmm. and, you know, Don King's arch rival, as we've mentioned on this show. And, you know, again, hat in hand, very humble, just looking for a promoter to get him a big fight. And Arum is the first guy to admit, I really don't know anything about boxing at this point in time. But Arum had a guy who was his right hand man named Teddy Brenner, who had long been the matchmaker for Madison Square Garden where Duran really became Duran to the American public. And Teddy kind of gets the idea, like, you know, he hasn't taken a ton of punishment when he's lost, like we just pointed out. And the losses to Benitez and Lang, he's not getting severely beaten up or, or you know, cut or anything like that. And he's getting he just scored on, but he's not really taking, like, sufficient amount of damage. Like, he's not coming out of those fights worse for wear. He's just getting hit. He's getting hit, and he's looking ineffective. Right. So – you know, Brenner's thinking like, you know, the guy I saw in the garden, if there's ever a way to just get that that fire back in him, he can, you know, turn things around and he'd be worth something to us. And so they sign him on. Did they? Now, by this point, for going into what his next fight's going to be, which is uh, Jose Cueva, did he change up his training at all? What What did he do to turn the corner here? You know, with, with Roberto, it's always been one of those things where it's a question of his his motivation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you go from fighting in, in the Superdome and the Olympic Auditorium and, and all these places where you're making, you know, $8 million, $5 million, and then you're losing in an ESPN main event to Kirkland Lang where, you know, you saw low six figures come your way. And now you're seeing those paydays drop when you fight the Jimmy Battens, the, you know, and these guys along the way and so he, he, pretty sees much, the, he sees the train coming is what you're telling me he he's seeing that light at the end of the tunnel coming at him faster mm -hmm. and faster and realizes i need to get off the tracks and how do i do that mm -hmm. and it's at this you know you talked about he's at 79 fights he's trained under arcel and brown duran knows how to train to fight he just has to have that motivation to get him to train properly and and not live high on the hog as is wanted right. to do it all it also speaks to his mindset coming out of the last sugar ray fight we talked about that at length so i don't want to revisit the whole thing here but i do want to point out one of the things we talked about was that we went back and forth about this that he really regarded sugar ray in that second fight the nomas fight as kind of a clown and disrespectful and effeminate and all of that and you know and then he's like i'm not gonna fight the this mammy pamby and then he's the one that looks like the quitter he's the one that people lose faith in and it clearly mentally affected him like he may win or lose a fight but he'd already been beaten in his mind and it was trying to get i think get around that mentally get over that hump of everything that happened in the wake of the sugar ray fight to where he gets back he gets back to his winning ways which he does because uh, against Jose Cuevas, he gets a TKO in the fourth round. He really blistered this fella. Oi. <laughs> like, yeah. this was the Roberto Duran that knocked out a horse. 
Yeah, and, and this is a fun fight at the time because you have two of the guys who are legitimately at one point in time at the same time, really, two of the most feared men in boxing, where Cuevas is just collecting people's jawbones as the WBA welterweight champion until he ran into Thomas Hearns. And Duran is the lightweight champion, like we established, the hands of stone, just knocking guys and horses out along the way. <laughs> and But both of them had fallen on hard times. Each of them suffered in one way or another a humiliating defeat. In the case of Duran, it was quitting against Leonard. In the case of Cuevas, it was getting just blistered by that right hand to Thomas Hearns. And then each guy follows it up with an upset of the year loss performance where we talked about Duran losing to Kirkland Lang. The year before that, Pepino Cuevas drops a unanimous decision to Roger Stafford that nobody saw coming. So it's like, what happened to Cuevas at the same time? So they both move up to 154 and they get matched against each other. And it's kind of like loser leaves town, or although in this one, it's loser leaves the sport, um, at least for a little while, where the guy who lost this fight was just essentially going to be written off. And the other guy was going to get a second lease on life. So he comes out of that fight um, with a good TKO, fourth round TKO, as I said before. He gets another fight against Davey Moore on June 16th, 1983 at 32 years, uh, 32 years old. On uh, his birthday. Yeah, on his birthday. And that is for that is where he wins the WBA super welterweight title and, uh, with an eighth round TKO. So he's got so he's got three wins under his belt. Two pretty good ones, one meh, and now he's looking for the big payday. Where are the big paydays? Well, that brings us to one of our other four kings here, Marvelous Marvin Hagler. And uh, so at this point, he's uh, he won the WBA, WBC, and ring middleweight titles uh, in Wembley Arena in London against Alan Minter. And then he goes on to have successive wins three, four, five, six. He uh, goes on to defend the title six more times. Each one uh, either just ending guys. <laughs> three round TKO, eight round fourth, 11th, first, fifth, sixth. All right. Now it's time to uh, now it's time for another uh, opportunity to win some belts here. He's going to compete for the IBF middleweight title in the ring um and put the ring middleweight title on the line against Wilford Sipian at the Civic Center in Providence, Rhode Island on May 27th, 1983. So who and what is a Wilford Sipian and why does this matter? Wilford Sipian, as we talked about in the Hagler episode a little bit, is a Texas-based middleweight um, who scored a couple of upset victories here and there along the way. Um, you know, unfortunately killed a man named Willie Classen in a fight in the ring. Um, but Sipion is, is the contender at this point in time who's been deemed number one by virtue of an upset victory he scored and Hagler is going to meet him. And there's a new sanctioning body in boxing that formed based out of the United States called the IBF, the international boxing federation. And for some reason they were seen immediately as having the same footing as the WBA and WBC. And they start recognizing champions in each weight division. The first middleweight champion they're going to recognize is whoever wins this fight. By virtue of winning this fight, Marvin became the first guy to hold all three championships at one time in any division. So a little historical footnote there. Um, but also, as we talked about in this fight, this is around the same time that, one, Hagler had a torn uh, ligament in his knee on the side that basically hampers his movement laterally, which for a guy who works the style that Hagler does, it's a big impediment to what he wants to do, especially with his stance switching. Um and then two, this is also coming out of a period in time where Marvin had signed a deal to fight three middleweights from the Kronk gym in succession, leading to a big payday against Thomas Hearns. Um, he's supposed to fight Mickey Goodwin. He's supposed to fight uh, one of the other fellas who ends up getting replaced by Caveman Lee. And then that's supposed to lead to a Thomas Hearns fight. Mickey Goodwin gets hurt. Uh, one of the other guys gets hurt and gets replaced by Caveman Lee, who gets destroyed in you know less than a minute. And then the Hearns fight's supposed to happen, but Hearns breaks his pinky finger. And that leads to a longstanding bit of animosity between Marvin and Tommy because Marvin feels like Tommy's deliberately not giving him the payday he's long sought and deserved over a pinky finger. And it routinely chastises him in public for it anytime he gets the opportunity. And Hearns, meanwhile, is of the opinion that, you know, this guy doesn't want to fight me at my best. He's, well, he wants me to fight me when I'm not there. You know, what, what is that going to prove? 
So they each go at each other long distance for a while with that. But so Marvin just kind of goes on business as usual, getting mad, having to fight these other middleweights who don't bring the same marquee value, even though he's destroying them left and right. And now now he goes into this fight with Wilfred Sipion, you know, still with the knee injury, you know, coming out of surgery. But ends the fight pretty quickly in four rounds and becomes the first uh, three belt undisputed middleweight champion of the world. So he's hungry for a big name fight, like more than like he's winning and he is one of the winningest middleweights out there. But what he needs is a name. He needs somebody that's going to put asses in seats. And was there anybody else out there at the time besides Tommy Hearns um, and obviously Sugar Ray? But like, how did they looking at the names, planning a date, figuring out his next move? How, how did they land on Roberto Duran? Well, you know, the, the Duran Moore fight at the Garden is seen it as what's going to be Roberto's last stand, like we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Duran going out on a shield because he's fighting this bigger, stronger, younger, faster champion who has been impressive through, you know, 12 fights. He's knocked out a couple of former world champions. Uh, I have Kulule, who we talked about, that Sugar Ray had fought, Tadashi mm-hmm. Mihara. Um, and and Davey looks every bit the, the bright, shining prospect that you think a young champion is going to be. And Duran just summons all that old fire in this fight, which was initially supposed to take place in South Africa <laughs> um, on the undercard of a Ray Boom Boom Mancini fight that Frank Sinatra was going to perform at. Well, Boom Boom broke his collarbone. Frank said, I don't care if Boom Boom's not there. Uh, some kind of Paisan rhetoric or whatever. I don't know. So they moved the fight to the Garden where Moore, who's a five-time New York Golden Gloves champion, when that really meant something in the amateur boxing world mm. and is a Bronx local – fights a guy who made his legend largely at Madison Square Garden. And the, the funny part was, you know, Moore was definitely thrown off that his hometown was cheering the other guy because you had all these old Madison Square Garden stalwart fans who wanted to see Roberto one more time and thinking it was going to be his going away party when instead it was, hello again, it's me. <laughs> and he produces one of the best performances of his career just by bludgeoning Davey Moore from start to finish using some of the most clever fighting techniques you'll ever see. So, I mean, he wins the junior middleweight title, which, again, it's only six pounds away from middleweight at that point in time. And that kind of leads into the involvement in the Bob Hope special that we, we talked about off air <laughs> for, for Bob Hope's birthday celebration. Well, between these two you guys. To describe that for a moment. So imagine like Richard Simmons's, you know, like aerobic workout, but two boxes are in there just dancing it up and jiggling and having fun. It is... I don't think people know how bizarre TV used to be in the 70s and 80s. I mean, we grew up with the Bob Hope birthday specials, so we we, we understood what they were and how big Bob Hope is. I don't think people know who Bob Hope is nowadays either. Um, The king of charity, though. uh, But yeah, he and this skit was initially supposed to be Marvin and Ray Leonard, but Ray actually had to have an emergency appendectomy. So when he was out, they tried to scramble for somebody else they could use. So they went to Roberto Duran who was training in New Jersey at the time to fight Davey Moore. And they ended up making a trip down to DC and they, and his Louis spot, his manager goes with them. Aram, who's now Duran's promoter goes with them and they see the guys talking and whatever before. And they look at Hagler and Duran and they go, they're not that far apart in size. Hmm. Wonder what happened if, if Duran beats Davey and you know, hmm, what do we, what do we maybe got here? And, you know, of course, a good manager and a good promoter are going to see that immediately and spot an Aram do. And Duran, of course, has this career renaissance at the Garden where, funny story, my dad and my uncle were both at that fight live expecting it to be the end of Duran. And they wanted to see him one last time. And instead, he just shocks the world. And, you know, the crowd sings Duran happy birthday after the fight. What a moment. And Roberto's just got tears flowing out of his eyes, hanging between the second and third ropes as they're going, Duran, Duran, doing this. And one of the first people to jump up on the apron and congratulate him is Ray Leonard, who's doing the color for the fight for CBS. Mm-hmm. And what, what does Duran say to him? He goes, tell your wife and son I love them, and it's, I hope to see them. So this, you know, mentally, I think, undoes a lot of the damage of the last few years post-Sugar Ray fight. So there really is no better time, like, you know, we talk about in boxing, if you can get the right guy, the right guys in the ring in the right moment, you can make magic happen. And this is one of those times. And so here we go. Um, we are off to Caesars Palace in Nevada for the WBA, WBC, IBF and ring middleweight title. This is for all the marbles. It's Roberto Duran versus Marvin Hagler. 
And you know, Pat, I watched this fight studying up for this podcast. And I have to tell you, I don't, in terms of fights that end in decisions where I, it's clear Marvin Hagler won on the scorecard, but you want to talk about two guys in almost a cinematic fashion in the, each other's face, not giving an inch. And Roberto Duran losing that fight round by round by a punch or two. It, it, it is pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, a lot of it's a 15 round fight. It goes the full distance. It's the mm -hmm. first time anyone's taken Marvin Hagler the distance in a 15 round fight, uh, which speaks volumes where Marvin's been fighting, you know, middleweights and some of them larger middleweights. And the first guy to do that is the former lightweight champion of the world. Right. Um, but this is a fight where it's Marvin's first big payday he's going to cash in on. He's going to make a few million dollars. Roberto's back in the millionaires club in this fight. He's going to make a few million dollars and potentially is fighting for history. Because if Roberto wins this fight, he's the first man to ever claim world championships in four separate weight divisions. So right. that's huge. Um, and Hagler's, again, fighting for his own, you know, bragging rights and his own recognition is, I think I'm the best fighter in the world and you guys haven't given me that. And I'm going to show you when I beat the legend. And what we get here is two guys in a fight that went the opposite way of the way everyone thought it was going to go, where... It was thought that if the fight was on the outside, the bigger, taller, longer Marvin Hagler would have the edge fighting from the outside, while Duran would try to bore his way in and win the infighting. And instead, what we got was Duran being very clever on the outside with his ability to time Marvin's jab and just throw his right hand over it every time and swell up Marvin's eye a little bit with that right hand um, and, and kind of catch him on the outside. Because Duran, one thing he never got credit for was his boxing ability. Because so many people saw him as this crude infighter who destroyed people. Brilliant boxer. Marvin had his success not fighting as the boxer puncher, this intelligent matador that we've talked about. He got his success going on the inside and asserting his size and beating Duran up on the inside and roughing him up with uppercuts and hooks and turning him. And I think you're seeing two turning points in that fight at that point. I think this is the turning point in Marvin's career where his ability as an outfighter is starting to go away because of his knee injuries, where he doesn't have the same quickness, the same ability. And Duran gets him off balance several times in this fight that allows him to hit him with the right hand that Marvin doesn't see coming. And so Marvin's forced to take the fight to him. And, you know, the, after 12 rounds, I had Marvin ahead seven to five, which is a pretty close margin. That would be a 115 to 113 score if we're scoring it in modern day title fights. But the official judges for this fight have it much closer or have Duran ahead in, in some instances at that point. And we go to the championship rounds, and Hagler really kind of asserts himself in 13, 14, 15, and comes away with what should have been a very clear points decision. But instead, he's winning by margins of 1 point, 1 point, 2 points on the judges' cards, one of whom scored six rounds even, which is more than either guy won in total on that guy's card. So never again should you judge a fight. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it, it's one of those things where there's a cumulative effect from it, where you got a great finish, a great fight, a lot of great moments where the, the I mean, at the final bell, you have each guy doing what they normally do, where Duran just stops and sneers at him and Hagler just get the hell out of here and, you know, <laughs> waves it off. Like, but it's one of those fights where I can hear like the Rocky four theme, you know, as, as the fights going on, dun, 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 you know, and the oh, montage yeah. and the cuts and everything and the overlays. Cause they really like, they went, they went at each other every single round and it's not the world's hardest fight to score, but it's not easy either. You really have to be paying attention because neither one of them really gave an inch. And there were some good, there were some times where Roberto Duran would get a good shot from Marvin Hagler and he would just wave it off and go like, no, you didn't, you didn't hurt me. You know? And then there were times where, you know, Marvin Hagler almost looked like, what do I got to do to hit, you know, do I have to hit him with a piano? Why won't he go down? Yeah. And, and, and Marvin did have him hurt at one point with a left hand. I think, it, I think it was the 10th round where he mm -hmm. hurt, hit Roberto and Roberto almost kind of goes through the ropes at one point. Right but just steadies himself and gets back up. And then the next round, I think Marvin kind of took the 11th round off for the most part and barely threw any punches because I think he kind of not, not necessarily punched himself out, 
But I think he was remembering what happened to him with Antifermo in the draw where Antifermo husbanded his energy till late in the fight to try to surprise Hagler and steal rounds late. And I think he thought Duran was crafty enough and capable enough to do that, which he, he probably would have been if Marvin didn't push that fight and get so aggressive so late with him and kind of push him around and take the fight to him. Conventional wisdom uh, points to the fact that if Marvin Hagler had come out of the gate a little fiery a little, a little earlier, he might have... Who knows if he would have actually finished Roberto Duran. It's not easier said than done, but he would have won by a larger margin. And, and I think that's fair to say. I think I think through the first five rounds, I had Duran up 3-2, if mm -hmm. I remember my score correctly. Um, but, but I, you know, Roberto had a pretty good start in this fight, and Marvin had a pretty slow start. So I think that's fair to say that he would have won it by a larger margin. He'd come out and fought more aggressively, especially fighting on the inside the way he did, and not trying to outbox Roberto and fight cautiously. The, the you know the the line is he paid Duran too much respect and that's probably mm -hmm. true. I mean, not for nothing. Not not, not meant wanting to make the same joke again. But what is Roberto Duran known for? He's known for knockout power. And I don't I don't begrudge Marvin Hagler the strategy of going into this fight and you know fight from distance, use his reach, um, try you know try to hit on the uh, uh, try to hit on the rebound counter that's what i was looking for try to you know try to counter punch him because here's a guy who you really don't want to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with he ends up kind of having to towards the end of the fight as both of them the, their defenses are starting to wear down but this is not you know roberto Duran's not a guy you want to go leading with your face with no but and the same token neither is marvin because marvin sure. you know even though he's not known as the hands of stone he's known as the chin of stone because <laughs> Mar marvin you know is just able to marvin has one you know knockdown in his entire career and it's it's really a pull down more than right. a knockdown and that's the thing that, that we, we talk about in wrestling, like, you know, just two meaty slabs of, you know, two, two meaty guys slapping meat. Like this really was just two beefy, strong, heavy hitters wailing on each other and neither giving an inch. It's really an impressive feat. Yeah. And, and, and it's a great fight. I mean, you know, all things considered, it's it's when you think of the fights these guys had, this one doesn't get a lot of the love that some of the other fights we've talked about and will talk about do. And I think it's because it didn't have that that explosive finish. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there weren't any knockdowns. The drama was a little bit more subdued in comparison to some of the others due to the momentum shifts right. and the way things. This went. wasn't a blood feud. No one's threatening to you know sleep with each other's wives. Yeah, this was kind of more just a matter of respect on both ends. Right, uh, but I think they were also both of them were. You know, you have Roberto Duran who's chasing the limelight that he had lost, and you have Marvin Hagler chasing the limelight that forever eludes him. Yeah, it's it's again, it's both guys. Duran wanting his respect back, and Marvin mm. wanting to get it in the first place. Right. And you know, the unfortunate part of the result is that you don't, you know, Hagler doesn't get credit for beating Duran. Hagler gets criticized for struggling with Duran through fifteen rounds and not looking all that marvelous in in terms of what the writers thought and everything. And right. It, it, it's again one of those things where if you know the guy already has a complex that he's not being treated fairly by people you know he went out and fought one of the great fighters of all time who's motivated and doing his best and right. still beat him and realistically should have beaten him by a fairly considerable margin again i had a five point margin on my card in a 15 round fight 10 to 5 score i think that's substantial maybe that's just me but you know, it, it is what it is. Roberto right. got respect for going this distance with the champion in a fight where he was an underdog and a fight where a lot of people didn't think he was even going to, you know, last. And he took him 15 rounds, won a fair amount. Of, he won five rounds on my card. He won more than five rounds on all three of the judges' scorecards or at least was close enough on all three scorecards score that had he won one of the last three rounds. He's the middleweight champion of the world and makes history. Right. Well, I'll tell you, these reporters writing on Marvin Hagler and Roberto Duran, they could have used a tool back then to help them really gain an edge in their writing and in their coverage of these two fighters. And do you know what that is? I think it rhymes with Grammarly. It is Grammarly. For you listeners of the History of Boxing podcast, specifically the Four Kings, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also con catching contextual errors 
improving your vocabulary and suggesting style improvements. You download Grammarly today. Go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. Well, while these two are beating the heck out of each other, we'll check in with one of our other four kings here. Good old Thomas the Hitman Hearns. And boy, does he earn that nickname. When we last... Uh, dealt with him he was having the showdown at the palace against sugar ray leonard uh that's september 16th of 1981 he gets a get well fight in december 11th of 1981 he gets a unanimous decision in the bahamas against er ernie singletary he then whips off ah, fairly on that same on that same card the last mm -hmm. fight of muhammad ali that's right that's right uh he then proceeds to whip off a series of wins here um, while he searches for the next big payday. He gets a KO over Marcus Geraldo on February 7th, 1982 at the Aladdin in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. He then takes, uh, he gets an eight round TKO in Cobo Hall over Jeff McCracken. And that brings him to a WBC and ring light middleweight title fight at the Superdome against once again, Wilfred Benitez, Pat. Tell us about this fight. This this is a big one. Yeah, uh, the unofficial fifth king we'll call Wilfred because he fights three out of our four kings, uh, the yep. only exception being Marvin Hagler. And this is the last fight he'll have against one of them, against Thomas Hearns. And it, it's a big fight. You have the three-division world champion Benitez, the youngest champion ever in history, winning the junior welterweight title at age 17. Uh, Hearns on the comeback trail, still seen as a potential superstar, and looking to exercise the ghost of Ray Leonard a little bit by performing better against Benitez than Ray did. And what happens in this fight is Hearns has something that will occur to him a couple times through the early and mid-80s. Midway, about midway through this fight, he'll break his right hand. And as we've seen, the right hand is Tommy's real power hand. He does a lot of great work with his left. His jab is great. His hook to the body is devastating. But when we see Tommy put guys out, it's that right hand that does that that killing blow. And he doesn't have that with him. But what Tommy does in this fight is impress a lot of people with his boxing ability, his ability just to, to really box and hit and not be hit in return. And he does this against a guy who's seen as a master boxer in Benitez, like we talked about, um, against Duran, made Duran miss early and often, rode his shots, landed counter punches, and got out of harm's way. Well, Hearns used an effective jab to keep Benitez backed up against the ropes. And even when he wasn't scoring all that much, he kept Wilfred so preoccupied on the defensive that Wilfred never mounted an offense against him. I mean, there's some rounds where Benitez throws as few as five punches, it seems like, mm -hmm. because Hearns is constantly sticking that flicking jab in his face and fainting him with the right hand and going to the body and pushing him into the ropes. And it's really one of his better boxing performances. We talked about it on the Thomas Hearns episode itself, what you know, what a lanky frame he has. And he doesn't seem like he's got a lot of power, but he's deceptively strong. But one of the things I noticed in the Benitez fight, um, and when and the, the short the very brief time he'll fight Roberto Duran is how much he uses his lanky frame to his advantage. Like he is quite the dancer in there. He, he has great footwork. He's, you know, he makes himself thin. He's able to dodge and slip and, you know, and find angles. I, I would say, you know, and I'm anxious to, we, we, we saw Thomas Hearn fight Sugar Ray Leonard. Um, you know, this is a guy who I really want to see in there with some good technical boxers because I think you would probably, maybe not to be the most crowd-pleasing thing, but I think you would, you would see some of the most superior technical boxing on display. Yeah, and, and even in this fight, what he does is, is really indicative that he has the ability to do that. Because, again, you're fighting a guy who was nicknamed the Bible of boxing because of his ability to hit and not get hit in return. And he has that flipped on its ear in this end where he's the one getting hit and not really able to hit in return. Mm -hmm. And and you talked about the, the frame of Hearns where he's so lanky and lean. But once he moves up to 154 after that time at welterweight, he does tend to fill out a little bit more. His shoulders get a little bigger, and he gets wider at the top and stays narrow at the bottom, which is indicative that this guy is in serious training at pretty much all times, where he's getting a little more muscle on the top of that frame. And now it's the question of, you know, kind of like Duran, where Duran we saw was this knockout artist at one point in time, but he hasn't done a great job of carrying that power up in weight with him. 
where we're seeing him go the distance a lot more. The question comes, can Tommy carry that power up with him? And so he, he, you know, he breaks his hand, which is, you know, understandable. He's not going to knock a guy out with a broken hand and he has to rehab it. When he comes back from rehabbing it, he comes back as a middleweight initially while still holding the lightweight away title. But he fights a tough guy named Murray Sutherland, from, who is a Scottish expat from uh, who lived in Australia at one point in time and is a favorite of yours because Murray Sutherland became the trainer of a guy named Butterbean. Oh, nice. Yeah. And, and he takes him, Murray takes him the distance, but Murray was also a guy who didn't get knocked out. So it was impressive to see him do that with a middleweight and again, use his boxing ability to win that fight. And then he drops back down to junior middleweight and he's going to fight a guy we talked about before briefly, Luigi Mancillo, who was part of Duran's comeback effort. And Tommy beats him, but Tommy doesn't finish him either. So there's some thought going on that, well, maybe the hitman doesn't have that bionic right hand anymore. And that is going to take us to our second fight that we're going to talk about here. All six minutes of it. Um, Less than. So Roberto Duran is going to fight Tommy Hearns on June 15th, 1984 in Las Vegas, Nevada for the WBC and ring light middleweight title. So this is the next fight after the Marvin Hagler fight for uh, Roberto Duran. How is it that his management team thought it would be a swell idea to go right from the the uh, the fryer <laughs> into the frying pan, uh, go right from Marvin Hagler directly into Thomas Hearns? Oh, it's very simple. It's called money. Okay. Because the biggest payday they would get at this point in time, other than if Ray Leonard agreed to come out of retirement and go to a rubber match with them, is a fight with Thomas Hearns because of the notoriety of both guys holding both junior middleweight championships. And what they thought would be a unification fight, but in reality, there was a lot of political goings on where the WBA was going to strip Duran had he chosen to fight Hearns and unify rather than fight their number one contender, Mike the Body Snatcher McCallum, who at this point in time is, is a stable mate of Thomas Hearns. He's training at the Cronk Gym under Emmanuel Stewart. And so the thought process for McCallum is I'm the number one contender, I'm getting the shot. And then Emmanuel Stewart makes an enemy for life out of Mike McCallum. <laughs> by instead pivoting and going to Hearns versus Duran because there's a much bigger payday for everyone involved in that than there is in Duran versus McCallum. And Duran's people are no dummies. They know that one of the two fights they pretty much have to make happen at this point are Hearns or McCallum. And to be quite honest, Mike McCallum is probably the most underrated boxer of the 80s. This is a guy with incredible technical ability, with knockout power, with great defense, and he doesn't get ever to fight any of the four kings, much as he wanted to. And honestly, McCallum could, on his best day, could have beaten any one of the four of these guys if he fought the right fight. And so he's thinking all along, I'm going to get the shot at Duran. You know, me and Tommy are going to have the belt. This is going to be great. And instead, Emmanuel puts the fight together where he pivots Tommy into the spot against Duran instead of McCallum and saying, no, Mike, we're a team. You know, it's all about the team. You're going to get his title shot now, too. You're going to get the other shot, and Tommy's going to knock out Duran. It's going to be great. And he's like, no, but, Manuel, this is my coming out party. I get to fight Duran and put my name on the map and get a belt. And, you know, Mike's not dumb. He understands <laughs> that this is being made because Manny's going to get a much bigger piece of the pie from this fight than he would if it was McCallum Duran. And at that point, McCallum says, the hell with all of you. I'm out of here. And his enmity towards them never ends. To this day, Mike McCallum has nothing nice to say about Manuel Stewart, about Thomas Hearns, about uh, David Braxton, about anybody in that crock camp at the time. Because he ends up fighting for the WBA middleweight title against Sean Mannion of Boston on a Marvin Hagler undercard in Madison Square Garden. The fight went to purse bid for $50,000 instead of a six-figure minimum he'd have gotten for fighting Roberto Duran. Good God. <laughs> and and on top of that, let's say he beats Duran, which honestly at this point in time I think happens. You put yourself on the map. You're now a star. You're going to get some HBO paydays. You're going to get some big names. Your your, your Q factor goes right up the, the area by beating Duran. Can I, can I just interject here something from modern times here? Because I hear you talk about, you know, purse bids and stuff, which is something I've learned about over the last few years of being paying a lot of attention to boxing Twitter. And so uh, Dillian White and Tyson Fury 
who, by the way, Dillian White, mandatory challenger for Tyson Fury's WBC heavyweight title, uh, goes to purse bid. Okay, so so Dillian White, I believe, is an Eddie Hearn fighter um, matchroom, and you have yeah. Tyson Fury, who is top ranked Bob Arum, and for whatever the reasons are, you have part A of the problem is Dillian White is um in a some sort of lawsuit i think with the wbc for whatever the reasons are he's also their interim wbc champion for what that's worth point being after he's gonna fight this person he's gonna fight that person after offering uh anthony joshua a you know the um the step equivalent of i was, was gonna say the equivalent of an african country's gross national product to step aside it all falls apart, and we're right back to Tyson Fury, Dillian White. The fight's going to get made any day now. It's going to happen any minute. It goes to purse bed, 90, purse bed 97 different times before they finally actually have one. And I think it's uh, BT Sport or Queensberry that put in... Uh, that put I in it's like, Frank Warren. Yeah, yeah, Frank Warren. I put in like a zillion dollars for this thing. And do you know... And, and just like think about what you just said about this other guy, fifty thousand for a purse bid. They put in the gross national product of, of freaking Portugal to, to put the fight on. And and hang on, Dillian White's not satisfied. Yeah, <laughs> Dillian White has not signed his contract because it's not enough money. That makes me want to flip the desk over and go go find this other fighter and let's go beat up Dillian White together. It's ridiculous, Pat. And I was going to say the, the $50,000 isn't indicative of the times. Like there's, mm-hmm. there have been modern examples where that happens, where a guy will price themselves out of a fight or get maligned mm-hmm. by management. And instead of fighting in a prime area against, you know, Juan Manuel Marquez, who a lot of people know who watch and follow modern boxing, he's the guy who, you know, killed Manny Pacquiao essentially. in the ring. Um, yeah, they fought about 50 times. Yeah. Only one guy went face down though. Um, <laughs> But at one point in time, Juan Manuel Marquez was seen as the best fighter nobody wanted to fight. Mm. And so he was getting ready to negotiate a fight, uh, a rematch with Manny Pacquiao after their first fight, which ended controversially in a draw. And he and his manager, trainer, Nacho Bernstein, basically priced themselves out of that fight, mm-hmm. wound up fighting a guy named Chris John, who was an Indonesian fighter and was big in Indonesia, but nowhere else. The fight went to purse bid where they got a minimum bid and Marquez wound up losing a decision and losing the title and losing his bidding chip to get a rematch with Pacquiao. Eventually they'll do it again, but he cost himself a lot of money by doing it. And this is what happens where poor McCallum in this instance got screwed by his management team into this this stipulation. But Dillian White is getting offered all the money in the world and is going to screw himself at a certain point if he doesn't come through with this because they'll not – He'll not have received step-aside money, and he'll not right. have received the title fight or that money. Well, there's another really fun story happening in boxing right now, and we'll get back to the central topic. But it just – I think about what we're talking about here in so much simpler times because the other problem happening in the heavyweight division right now is Philip Her- uh, Hervovich. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And he's the uh, he's being ordered to face whoever the number one contender is in the, uh, the IBF rankings – for a uh, for a mandatory title shot, and every time they've offered him a fight, everyone goes no, Moss, no, thank you. The, the, like either, I think the only person that was willing to accept a fight with him was Tony Yoka, and they were like, no, 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 you're still supposed to fight Martin Bacoli, and that fight got scuttled because of COVID or whatever. So that fight has to be remade now. So Tony Yoka loses out on that, and I'm at a point where it's just like, you know what, just order poor Hovervich then against Tyson. <laughs> Done with all of this. Well, you know, that, that's why sanctioning bodies don't rank the same guy number one as the other sanctioning body. So they can all claim their number one contender and get their purse fees and, you know, they're what have in, you. They're into double digits in the rankings because they can't find anybody in the IBF heavyweight rankings to take on Hervovich. It's it's a it's a criminal, Pat. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that's that's boxing. Yep. See, simpler times, better times during this Four Kings era. All right, so well, we we do have a fight that falls apart that's supposed to headline a card with this, so not necessarily. So we're 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 getting to the point where we've now shifted to Hearns Duran instead of Duran McCallum and Hearns somebody else, whoever it might have been, pig hostage to use a Mark Radlichism. <laughs> so what they're going to do is they're going to do a double build fight. They're going to have this WBA WBC unification fight, or so they bill it as, even though the WBA is going to strip Duran. And what they're also going to have headlining this is a heavyweight unification fight between Larry Holmes, who is the WBC champion, and Harry Coetzee of South Africa, who is the WBA champion. 
So this is going to be a big card. Lots of money happening here. Mm-hmm. So much so that Caesars Palace builds a 25,000-seat stadium to host it in essentially the parking lot of Caesars Palace. Wow. So there's a lot of money being invested in this. And, of course, negotiations between Holmes and Coetzee fall apart completely. And what happens is they, they lose a ton of backing for the fight at that point. They've already begun constructing the arena. Ticket prices are now going to be basically cut in half because you've lost half the attraction and you've lost the marquee attraction, even though this is likely seen as a more attractive fight to the boxing purist because of the mm-hmm. men involved as opposed to just the heavyweights. And so we talked about, you know, how does Duran's team let him go from Marvin Hagler into Thomas Hearns? Well, he's also not fighting in the interim from that November to, you know, we're in, you know, the summertime now. He's not fighting. So what does he do? He puts a salsa band together and he tours through (laughs) Central America and he's having a good old time and almost becoming 200 pounds again. And what's Thomas Hearns doing, you ask? Well, his head trainer and manager, Emmanuel Stewart, has been named a special advisor to the 1984 U.S. Olympic boxing team. So throughout this process, Thomas Hearns is sparring with and working with guys like Mark Breland, Pernell Whitaker, Frank Tate, Meldrick Taylor, in a camp that Stewart has called the best of Tommy's career. <laughs> so, so yeah, very, very two different tale of two cities, if you will. Uh, so Roberto Duran wanders in from the cantina with his mandolin and his sombrero. And in walks Tommy Hearns, who has fought everybody and their mother um, with not a day off. And it, that's about how it goes. <laughs> um, yeah, want- and, and there, there's a psychological aspect here, too, I want to bring up that mm-hmm. Emmanuel's talked about. And, you know, I think it's Emmanuel trying to build Tommy up a little bit to a certain extent. But to a certain extent, it's probably a little bit true. For whatever reason, Duran would, you know, grow, you know, bear his teeth and, you know, try to get Marvin Hagler's goat when they were in the press conferences. We obviously covered at length the stuff he did to Ray Leonard and Ray Leonard's family. He said the first ever meeting between Hearns and Duran, Hearns saw Duran at like a casino floor and kind of walked up behind him and gave him a little playful little tap on the back of the head. And Duran kind of spun around ready to fight. And then he saw it was Tommy. He was like, oh, it's you, Tommy, and like shook hands with him. And for whatever reason, Duran always seemed to not want to do that with Hearns. Mm-hmm. And there, there was never really a, a reason why, but it just seemed like for whatever reason, Duran kind of knew that Hearns was not a guy he should try this with. Let me ask you a question. Two guys catch you in a dark alley. One of them looks like Sugar Ray. One of them looks like Tommy Hearns. Which one do you think you got a chance with, just based on their face, the, the way their face looks? Oh, I'm heading right for Ray Leonard. Exactly. And if you think that, and I thought of it because I asked you that question, what do you think Roberto Duran thought in that moment? I mean, because... Follow the question. Has there ever been a tougher man with a jerry curl? (laughs) Who could still look that intimidating with a jerry curl and legs that thin? I mean, maybe people from like the exploitation films of that era, but... I don't think so. Okay, I, I'm not going to doubt you. Yeah, you know, now that you mentioned it, like a dripping Jerry curl and an angry Tommy Hearns, you just 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 roll on your back. Let him let him rub your belly. You're done. Yeah, and, and, and that's what happens in this fight is Tommy Hearns. No, he rolled on his face. <laughs> Tommy Hearns just owns. There is no analysis to this fight. Tommy Hearns. It's so funny because you talked about like there's no animosity between these guys. They're just doing business. But one, and this is why I made the joke. But one came in utterly mentally, physically unprepared for this fight. I mean, he didn't walk in like Butterbean or anything. But yeah, you know, he was not where he should have been. And then you have Thomas Hearns, who is as sharp as the sharpest knife can get, and proceeds to clobber Roberto Duran like he actually owed him money. Like whatever, whatever purse was up for grabs in this money, he took it out of Roberto Duran's ass. <laughs> it is like I watched that knockout and I immediately texted you. I was like, dude, he hit him like he shot him with a cannon. The sound of his right hand crashing off of Roberto's chin sounded like a cannon. Yeah. You just hear the boom and just boom. And he falls like Apollo Creed in Rocky Four. Yeah, you know, I actually saw Roberto Duran's soul ascend to heaven. Yeah, I mean, it's not good. Th- this is kind of the standard bearer until 
Juan Manuel Marquez, Manny Pacquiao of face first knockouts mm-hmm. where a guy, you know, when you know a guy goes face down, he ain't getting up. Right. And and this was one of those. This was one of the principal moments of that time where Tommy just from the outset completely dominated him physically. I yeah. mean, you know, kept him at bay with his jab. When Roberto tried to lunge in, Tommy just easily pushed him off to the side and kept him off balance. Peppered him at will, basically, with shots. I was going to say, like, as great as Roberto Duran is, and no one's taking anything away from him, he did not, A, look good in this, but despite the fact that Tommy Hearns, like, hit him with a bat, um, he, he did not look good in this fight. And this was like like your little brother, like, trying to beat up the big brother. And Tommy Hearns, like you said, he would move him to the side. He would push him off. He would get in two or three hit, you know, hits in a combination. And Roberto Duran didn't know which way was up after a while. And then they get to that second round where the fight ends, and he clobbers him, but good. Yeah, like, I'm mean, trying the, to literally put him underneath the ring. Even in the first round, there's a point where just to try to get something going, Duran actually jumps in the air to throw a left hook at Tommy. <laughs> And Tommy just puts his right hand up to his cheek and hits Roberto with a left hook at the same time and knocks him down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he hits him with a good right hand at the end of that round that puts Roberto on the seat of his pants pretty good. Durant goes to the wrong corner after the after the round's over because he's just, where the hell am I? Yeah, he doesn't know math anymore. And, and he'll learn, he'll forget a little bit more very shortly when he comes out. And Tommy just basically flickers him around, bang, 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 jab, jab. Backs Roberto up to the ropes, and Roberto at this point is just hand fighting, like, where the hell am I? I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. Wailing a little bit kind of with his blocks. And then Tommy just, with his eyes, you know, looks midsection, throws up top with that boom. And good Lord, it was just – Hearns in the greatest sports legends with Reggie Jackson. Remember that show, Mark? They used to do the syndicated half-hour show where Reggie would kind of interview, like, another yeah. sports figure. So, so they talk about that fight, and Tommy basically said, he goes – I always felt Duran's style was tailor-made for me to showcase what I could do because he'd have to come to me and I could pick my spots and it was perfect. And that's about as good as analysis as you'll get between these two guys where these guys could fight 200 times and maybe Duran gets him slipping on a banana peel once in those 200 times because of how these guys match up. It's a perfect, like Tommy said, matchup for him to show what he can do. And just poor Roberto is never in this fight. And I don't know that he's ever in the fight, period. Um, at any point, and we'll talk financials for a second to make you happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the guarantees for each guy were just under $2 million. Mm-hmm. The ticket sales for the event, it was a 25,000-seat arena they built. They sold just over 14,000 tickets. But those are 14,000 discount tickets because they lost the Holmes Code Z fight. So the promotion lost a total of $3 million, which kind of seems crazy based on the names you have involved here at the time. Um, But, you know, such as business and such as boxing, heavyweights still command the dollars, whether they're the marquee guys or not. You know, we talked about, just to take it all the way back to the beginning, Roberto Duran is still trying to find a way forward. And, And just when he starts to get some momentum, he loses to Marvin Hagler. And then he tries again with, you know, with Tommy Hearns, and I don't think anyone up up to this point, especially after the Sugar Ray fight, really knew what Tommy Hearns was made of. And so now you see, you know, Marvin Hagler, who's just got animal pelts of men that he's conquered, you know, nailed to his wall. And then you just saw this great victory by Thomas Hearns where he knocked out the guy that knocked out a horse. Yeah, and the guy who took Marvin 15 rounds. Right. These two men have to fight each other, and that is where our tale ends for today. Because... Um, Nobody's done that to Roberto, the hitman right. did, and Marvin couldn't do it. And now you've got this this mega event here, Marvin Hagler versus Thomas Hearns. You know, they both have victories over Roberto Duran. They are, you know, they are both belted money um moneyed guys. They are both, but they are both also really in search for that one big marquee event payoff uh that doesn't involve Sugar Ray. Like with, this, with this is a fight they, they need for they, they both need this fight against each other to really separate themselves from the shadow of Sugar Ray Leonard. With legitimate bad blood between the two of them stemming back to 1982's failed negotiations. Mm-hmm. So that is where our tale ends for today. So, Pat, you know, I follow you on Instagram. Uh, we follow each other. You like to look at my uh, podcast stories and wonder, is he ever going to talk about anything I want to listen to? And I get to see you in, in the gym. Uh, what are you listening to when you're in the gym these days? 
Well, it's funny because I use a lot of Amazon music products to shuffle through my playlist, depending on my mood, depending on what kind of workout I'm doing, whether I'm I'm boxing and I want to hear the soundtrack to Rocky Four, or if I'm lifting weights and I need to hear some Danzig or something a little heavier, or if I'm doing some, you know, some cardio and I need some fast pace, then I want to listen to some power pop, something with some beat to it so I can move and set a pace and sweat. I find pretty much everything I need through Amazon Music, which is really dope. And we're actually offering a free preview of Amazon Music, aren't we? We certainly are, Ollie. Um, as Pat said, we have a free 30-day trial of Amazon Music Unlimited for you. Uh, if you click the link in the description of this podcast at getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network, you can take advantage of that free 30 days, and you can have a burning heart that's about to burst. It's a quest for answers and a quest for the thirst. Um, you can also listen to uh, Survivor, and you can listen to James Brown and all the music on Rocky Four. And if you're not totally satisfied with that, you can listen to whatever else you want. Uh, it's over 70 million songs on Amazon Music. If you can't find something you like on there, then you just don't like music. So uh, check out our free trial. If you want, um, have it for 30 days, uh, stream all you want. And then at the end of that 30 days, if you want to get rid of it, you don't like it for whatever the reasons are, you can cancel. No fuss, no must, no contracts. But who doesn't love free music? We all love free music. Free music is fantastic. And hey, they're not raising the price on that. They're raising the price on Prime. They are, but by the same token, there's they don't currently host a podcast where someone's giving out false information about COVID. So, you know, there aren't people rushing Neither to pull their Spotify. <laughs> Some no one's rushing to pull their music off of Amazon. So see, there you go. Support Amazon. Support truth, justice, and the American way. Nancy Reagan and Apple Pie. All right. Um, <laughs> for those of you still with us. All right. Uh, the next chapter is the infamous Hagler-Hearns fight, uh, one of the best in history. So we'll talk about that on our next podcast. I don't know exactly when that's going to be. We have a tentative date, but Pat's a busy man, so we'll see what happens. But it also uh, features a cameo from Sugar Ray Leonard. Um. So here's uh, how this podcast is going to go. Again, I don't. I won't give you exact dates, but we've got Hagler-Hearns up next, and then Hagler-Leonard. Then Leonard Hearns two, and then finally we end with Sugar Ray Leonard versus Roberto Duran three, and an epilogue to this. So sometime be uh, late spring, early summer, we'll be closing out our Four Kings of Boxing, and then Pat, uh, you and I will start to do what I thought we were going to do with this series initially. After we were done with the heavyweights, we're just going to start looking at different fights throughout history: some early twentieth century, some more modern, some mid, just bunch of fights that we wanted to watch and talk about so that's what we're going to do and that's going to be the second half of the year we're going to get that started i picked some he picked some gavin picked one so we're going to have some fun with this series and we're going to you know and some of these maybe will be, gavin will even join us for one maybe um some of these will be two-part episodes a lot of them are just going to be one-part episodes and we are in fact i'll give one away we are in fact that my insistence are going to look at the 97 fights between manny pacquiao and juan, juan manuel marquez so I'm excited. They're to all talk great about fights. That. They are. They're absolutely great fights. I really, having watched those and having seen the frustration with Juan Manuel Marquez, I, I sympathize with him. I truly do. But that's it. That's all for now. Uh, this week was a busy week. We started off the week with uh, myself and Harry Broadhurst reviewing the world on GCW and No Holds Barred 21. Um, we uh, Andrew. Uh, Andrew Graham and Evan Bevins reviewed Pat's new favorite show, uh, Masters of the Universe Revelations from Kevin Smith. <laughs> I think he just vomited. A show, a show so bad that it didn't even get into the trending area of Netflix when it was released. It wasn't in the top 10, wasn't recommended to anybody. So good, good job, Kevin Smith, you fucking hack piece of shit. I think Pat just threw up in his mouth a little bit. Um, we had a re-airing uh, to kick off uh, Black History Month. We had a re-airing of Catwoman starring Halle Barry, who's in Moonfall, that's coming out tomorrow as this podcast records. Alexis Haina and I reviewed some more Oscar bait. We looked at some black and white movies, Belfast, Passing, and Come On, Come On. Uh, last night, we talked Battle Beast, Circus of Doom, and uh, we did a we did a fun reaction to to a mashup that I found many, many years ago, and I refound it again last night. And so we did our first uh, Metal Hammer of Doom TikTok. What do you think of our TikTok, Pat? That was interesting because I think we're all too old for TikTok. So way to way to prove us uh, right. <laughs> Me and my shawl because I didn't want to put a T-shirt on. Um, all right, and then uh, tomorrow 
we've got some more old boxing for you, but not that old. Uh, myself and Pat Mullen did an alternative commentary back in the Yaw for uh, Keith Thurman and Jose Zito Lopez. Wow. That's going to be Friday. And then Saturday, we've got a busy day ahead of us. Another re-airing. This time, it's Manny Pacquiao versus Keith Thurman. And then my son, fastest rising star of the Rattle and Broadcasting Network, he and I are going to look at Hotel Transylvania 4, Trans- Transformania, and the Ice Age, the Adventures of Buck Wild. Um, and then in the evening time, uh, myself and Dan Lasby will be covering the, fo- the uh, Fox pay-per-view matchup between Keith Thurman trying to get back in the winning ways versus Mario Barrios. How is this a pay-per-view? <laughs> yeah, good question. I was a little upset about that. And then we kick off uh, next week's full of podcast with David Wright coming on the talk of Gretzko season four. All right, Pat, anything else before we go? No. All righty. Tune in next time for the next uh, episode of the Four Kings of Boxing podcast. Until then, for Pat Mullen, I'm Mark Radledge. Be well, be safe, and behave.